Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Uh, Joshua chapter 24, verses, let's begin in verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, and judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, the son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from, this, from that land of slavery, he performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are a witness against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you 
and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him only. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, uh, we pray that you will guide our thoughts towards the things that you have for us. Uh, We pray for those who need uh, extra comfort this morning. We pray that they will be comforted. Uh, And for those who need uh, to be challenged and disturbed from their comfort, Uh, We pray that they will be disturbed. We pray this in your name. Amen. So you may be thinking to yourself, this is an odd passage to begin a sermon on Mother's Day. Um, And and you're right, uh, it is. And and as you think about, I already mentioned that our sermon is on anxiety and and worry and, and talking about contentment. You may be a little worried about that too and say, what is he going here with Joshua reading and almost all of Joshua 24 as he talks about worry. Um, we'll get into that in a second. But as you, as you hear, even as I begin and I say, well, we're going to be talking about anxiety this morning, uh, you may find yourself, especially if you're familiar with Scripture and, and some of the teachings on worry, you may find yourself already frustrated. Uh, I know I often get frustrated by by talking about worry because, frankly, uh, it doesn't always help to be told not to worry, right? Uh, It's like telling somebody to stop thinking about pink elephants. You're all thinking about them right now. As soon as you say, I'm not doing it anymore, oh, I'm doing it now. Uh, You can't can't just be told, hey, stop worrying and and have that that work. And oftentimes what happens is, is when we come to Scripture and we hear, for example, Matthew chapter 6, where we read the words of Jesus, don't worry about what you eat or drink. Understand that your heavenly Father cares for you. Or Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. Or 1 Peter 5, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. We say, yeah, okay, I know those things, I've heard those things, great. But I still worry. (laughs) And maybe you come away from a sermon like, oh, that was great. I, you know, I, I was reminded that I shouldn't worry so much. And then you walk out the door and you're worrying again. And I think this is especially true for mom. I think moms are probably the greatest warriors. Uh, because moms have the most to worry about, uh, moms are worrying about their families, about their kids, um, about, about their own lives, about their jobs. About, there's, there's so much weight and responsibility to carry, and so much to worry about. And so uh, we get frustrated when someone just says, hey, don't worry, or someone points us to scripture passages and says, hey, the Bible says you're not supposed to worry, so stop it. And like, well, that doesn't really help. Um, so what I want us to do this morning, as we think about this, to, to recognize from the outset that this is a much easier topic to talk about than to actually live. Can we all agree with that? Uh, it's much easier to, 
to tell someone to stop worrying or to say, I know Scripture says not to worry than to actually live that out, and often frustratingly so. What I want us to do this morning is to just offer some suggestions for, for how we approach our anxiety, how we approach our worry, but, but really not so much to think about not worrying as, as much as to, to reimagine or to revision, and by that to, to have new sight, revision the way that we think about God and the way that we understand who he is and what he's doing that might hopefully lead us away from some of our anxiety. And so uh, let's begin uh, with Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is a good place to begin because that's where everything begins. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And Genesis chapter 1 continues the, the unfolding, this poem of, of unfolding of God's creation. On the first day he creates, on the second day he creates, on the third day he creates. And at the end of every day we're told, and God created, he saw all that he created and it was good. We see at the very beginning God is a God who creates um, and he creates some things that are good. And we're told in the midst of this creation, verse 11, God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. Verse 22, we're told, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water and the seas. Let the birds increase on the earth. There is evening and there is morning, the fifth day. And then we jump down to verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over living, every living creature that moves on the ground. We see in the story as God creates. He's not just a God who creates, but he creates things that have the opportunity. He creates life that has the possibility of creating more life. The plants that can reproduce, the animals that reproduce, the humans that reproduce, that make more. And we see in this opening story of God's creating that God is a God of abundance. God is a a life-giving God, but he doesn't just give life, he continues to give life. And he creates the possibility of more and more and more life. This overflowing abundance and generosity of God giving and giving and giving, creating more and more, and this possibility for more newness every day. Psalm 104, we, we uh, had parts of the first part of Psalm 104 read to us this morning. And in that psalm, we see again, we, we heard the goodness of God's creation. Psalm 104 is a, is a psalm that speaks of God's abundance in creating life and this generosity that overflows and the way that he orders and structures and gives and gives and gives and provides for the animals and provides water and food and, and all of these creatures that are, that are living. And God is, again, we see this God of abundance who's providing and giving it and this overflow of, of grace coming forth from God who, who gives life to all things. 
And here in the middle of this psalm, as it, as it continues to, to expand, and we reach this crescendo of, in verse 27, all creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. This word here, when you send your spirit, this word uh, in the Hebrew is the word ruach, which we see just in the verse before that. When you take away their breath, it's the same word. This word means breath, it means wind, it means spirit. And what we see here in in the psalm is is that even the breath that we have in our lungs is a gift from God. It's an act of grace that we receive every time. Let's just stop and breathe in slowly and breathe out. It's a gift from God. Your breath in your lungs is a gift. It's grace given to you even now. That when we cease to breathe, that is also in God's hands. What we see here in Genesis 1 is a God who not only creates life, but creates the possibility for more life and sustains life. And what we see here in Psalm 104 is a God who not only creates life and orders it, but sustains it and gives it again and again and again. And the God that we worship is a God of overflowing abundance and grace to give us our breath and our life and to provide the things that we need. And we see this in the psalm again and again. All, and, and this is really our first point as we think about how to revision our thoughts around anxiety is to understand that we serve a God who is a gracious, giving, generous God. That even now you are experiencing God's grace. And that all of our life is in his hands and will continue to be in his hands. We serve a God of grace. Our life is a gift. Our life is grace. And this is actually Jesus' point in Matthew chapter 6. Let's turn there now. One of these passages in which which we focus on and we think about when we talk about worry and anxiety This is Jesus' point here. And normally this passage, when we we talk about this, we begin in verse 25, but I think the context is helpful here if we begin in chapter chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus is speaking. This is a sermon uh, typically referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And this is, as, as we think back on Genesis 1 and Psalm 104, this is Jesus' point here. This is why he starts talking about birds and flowers. He says, look at creation, look at nature, look at the way that God provides for the things that he has created, for the life that he has made. And if God is going to provide for this, this grass that is here today and gone tomorrow, if God is going to provide for the birds of the air, how much more will he provide for you? And I think the hard thing about a passage like this is we, we, we read that and we hear that and we say, yeah, but they're birds. Birds don't have jobs. They don't have family. I mean, they have families to provide for, but they, you know, they're, they're not earning an income. They're not worrying about... Uh, you know, their kids learning to drive and going off into traffic. Like, uh, I guess they probably worry about them being eaten by vultures or something. I don't know what. But, you know, we, we look at that and we say, yeah, but they're birds. Of course they don't worry about those things. Look at the worry that I have. Look at all the, the weight and the responsibility that I have in my life. And we say, but, but here is something that has to be worried about. Here's something that I need to carry with me. And this is exactly Jesus' point. No, you don't. No, you don't have to worry about those things. Do you believe in a God who will provide for you? Who knows what you need? The, the point with the birds is that they have not developed an inherent trust or distrust in God. And we have. If we were to go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 is where this begins. We stop trusting that God can care for us and that what God says is enough for us is actually enough for us. And Adam and Eve in the garden say, they listen to the words of the serpent and they say, is it really true that God wants what's best for us? Or is there something better that we can take for ourselves? And this is a story that we play out again and again in our lives. We say, 
is it really true that God knows what's best for me here? Is it really true that I don't have to, to carry this myself, that I don't have to worry about this myself? We say, well, yes, God, you're sure, God's going to provide for me here and he's going to generally take care of me, but, but what, about, what about over here? What about when my kids leave the house? Who's going to provide? Who's going to care for them? And the response, this is what Jesus is saying, God knows what you need. And the real question as we, as we look at this and we understand the second idea, that, that the first idea here is to understand God as a God of abundance and grace and giving. And the second idea here as we move from anxiety is to understand that we are in fact cared by, for by God and that our families are cared for by God and that God knows what we need. And, and the real question is not can God provide for me here, the real question is, do I actually need to be provided for here? Jesus says in Matthew 6, your heavenly Father knows what you need. And our, often what we say is, well, if I don't worry about this, God may not provide that for me if I'm not worried about it. And I don't, if God doesn't provide it, then maybe you don't need it. Do we trust that God is going to give us the things that matter? And, and we think about, well, what about our security? What about our money? What about our finances? What about, what about the, the future? If I, don't, if I don't worry about these things and, and, and spend time and energy towards those things, it may not happen. And maybe it won't if you don't worry about those things. But the question is, do you need them? Do we need those things? Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows what you need. And he'll provide what you need. He may not provide what you think you need. And again, this is the question in Genesis 3. Is what we think we need more important than when God says we actually need? I think this requires... To, to move from anxiety really requires a fundamental shift in our trust. Do we trust in ourselves to provide for our own security, for our own safety, for our own future? Or do we actually believe that God knows what's best for us and will care for us? Do we trust in the security of our jobs and our ability to provide for our family or do we trust that God is going to provide for our family? Do we, tr do we think, believe that we have to be the ones to protect our family and to defend them? Or do we ultimately trust that God is going to protect and defend our family? Do we trust that God is going to do the work that he says he's going to do? So we, do we trust that he knows what we need and will give it to us. Jesus says in, in verse 24 of chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And I think this is true for money, this is true for success, this is true for security. This is true for a life of just getting by and surviving. We cannot serve the God of security and self-provision. We cannot serve the God of money. We cannot serve the God of success and also serve our Heavenly Father. This isn't Jesus saying, uh, well, you just, you know, you kind of have to, he's sort of saying, well, you don't have, you don't want to have money, you don't have to worry about money as, as a specific thing. But it's this idea that, that God, if you're going to serve the God who, who provides and gives and gives abundant life and grace and is, is caring for you, you can't also then worship yourself and your own ability to provide. You have to choose. Do you trust in God or do you trust in yourself and the things that you can do for yourself? And finally, as a, as a third idea here for how do we move and move away from anxiety is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And don't worry, we're going to come back to Joshua 24 too. Don't? You may have forgotten about that. I haven't. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is, is writing this letter to this church in Corinth. And he's talking to them about a gift that he's collecting for, for people in need. And one of the ways that God provides for us is through other people. And here he's, he's challenging the, the Corinthians to think about those in need. And he says... Uh, Verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you uh, to, to give a gift here, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here we have a third way to move away from our anxiety. And that is to live generously. And the example that, that we have for generosity here is the example of Christ. That though he was rich, though he had much, gave his life as a servant for others. And as we think about the, the things, the gifts that God has given us in our life, sustaining us, providing for us, and that we understand a God who's going to care for us no matter what, and we don't have to worry about living generously and giving of our time and our resources and our money and our energy to serve others and to love other people because we know that God is going to care for us. And we know that the things that we have, they're just a gift anyway, given to us by God. They're not ours to hang on to and to grasp tightly in our hands because we may lose them. Because if we have our hands grasped tightly, we're unable to receive the gifts that God is continuing to give us. And so we're invited to live with open hands, receiving the gifts that God is continually giving us and then giving them away again and again and again. And I think one of the ways that we often miss in thinking about anxiety and the abundance of God is that if we believe in a God who knows what we need, 
and, and is calling us to give generously, and is a God who gives generously, then in our worship of a God who gives generously, then we give generously to those in need around us, of our time, of our energy, to serve one another in love. And sometimes what we say is, well, if I, if I give here, then I won't have enough over here. And we're not just talking about money here. Again, we're talking about all sorts of ways that we can give of ourselves. And say, if I, give, if I give this amount of love to this person, then I may not have enough love for myself. But we serve a God who is overflowing with love and grace. And if I forgive over here, then I may not have enough to be forgiven over here, or I may not have enough to forgive. But God is forgiving and giving and giving and giving. And so we're invited to live with open hands, to receive the gifts of God, to know that he's caring for us, and to give generously because we recognize that it was never ours to begin with. Not just our resources, but our lives themselves. They're in God's hands and they belong first and foremost to him. And So in Joshua 24, he stands before the people and he outlines this history of the way that God has formed them into a people all the way from Abraham and he starts with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he talks about how the people, the, the children of Jacob were in Egypt and they were in slavery, and God brought them out of Egypt and brought them through the wilderness and provided for them and cared for them and gave to them and, and has given them this land that they, never, they didn't work for. He's given them houses and crops and fruit of the land that they didn't work for. God provided it for them. Joshua is outlining what we've just talked about, this God who is, who is caring for you and giving abundantly and graciously to you. God has done all of this work in your lives. And he stands before the people and he says, now as we look at all that God has done for us, as we look at the way that God is providing and, the, and this generosity of our God, now here's the question for you. Which God are you going to continue to serve? Are you going to serve this God of grace and, and generosity and abundance who pro has provided for you all of this time? Or are you going to serve these other gods and look to them for your security and your satisfaction and your provision? Now that you've come into this other land, are you going to look to these gods as the ones who will, who will care for you? Are you going to put your trust in these other gods or will you continue to trust in the God who has done so much for you already? And this, this is the challenge for us today. It's to choose for yourselves which God you will serve. Will you choose to serve and to worship the God of yourself, trusting in yourself to provide the things that you think you need, to know what you really need, are you going to trust in your, in your money? Are you going to trust uh, in your own security and your own hopes for the future of your lives? Or will you trust in the God who has provided for you so much already and who says, I know what you need. I know what you need. Continue to trust in me and I will give you the things that you need. It may not look the way that you think it looks. Uh, it may be very hard. I mean, here you have, 
you have guys like Paul and Peter writing these things about don't worry. And Paul is writing that from prison. And Peter is writing that to a community that is in exile and been thrown out of their homes. We think we have a lot to worry about. They had tons to worry about. And yet they say, continue to trust in the God who will provide for you. He will provide the things you need. He will care for you. He will care for you. Choose for yourselves this day which God you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, even as we, as we open your word and we reflect on these ideas, and we, we understand that this is a very hard way to live. And yet you have invited us as people who have put their faith in you to continue to put our faith in you. And so we ask for courage to let go, to let go of the things that we worry about and to continue to trust even in the face of, of hardship, in the face of difficulty, that you will give us what we need. Give us the strength to trust that the things that you give are enough. That we don't need more than what you can give to us. I pray this in your name. Amen. As we end today and we uh, just sung that song and that second verse is always the one that hits me the most. The, uh, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while below. Uh, and, and just a reminder as, as we go from here that uh, life, is, life is hard and there is a lot to worry about. And it's easy to talk and, and to think about, hey, don't worry when things are going well, but when the, when the waves and the winds are high, uh, it's much harder to trust that God will see us through that storm. Paul and Peter were both executed, and yet they still believed that even in their death, even in their suffering and persecution, God held them in his hands and cared for them. And even in your hardship, may you know that we serve a God of grace and abundance who is giving you life today. May you trust that he is caring for you and will continue to care for you in the things that you need. And even if you lose your life or your loved ones lose their lives, to trust that God is caring for you in the things that you need. May you live generously, serving him and serving one another, knowing that we have a God who will continue to give and give and give. May the grace and peace of our God be with you.